Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. What these young bloods have to understand, that this game has always been and will always be about buckets. Just attack the basket. Welcome to Buckets, brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. My name's Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network, and this is part two of our off-season recap, 2023 recap uh, of the NBA season, going over the biggest questions for you as a better going into next season. We've got lots of great content in this episode. If you haven't, check out part one that dropped on Friday. Joining me to do this is Brandon Anderson, NBA Futures Analyst. And Brandon, we're recording a brand new intro to this episode. <laughs> If you check us out on video, we're doing completely different clothes because we decided to go ahead and redo this after on Sunday. The Washington Wizards traded guard Bradley Beal to the Phoenix Suns for Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, multiple second rounders, and a few swaps. The lesson, ladies and gentlemen, is don't give players that don't deserve it no trade clauses because you'll wind up in this situation. I have a lot of thoughts on Bradley Beal's entire, like, clusterfuck of a situation in Washington, including the fact that if you go back and actually pay, like, real close attention, there's some sketchy stuff in terms of how his seasons ended in Washington repeatedly. At the very least, you have to say that he has had trouble staying healthy for the duration of the season. Another thing to be concerned about a team that is extremely top-heavy with the Phoenix Suns. We're going to talk real briefly about this as far as like from a betting perspective. The rest of the episode that you're going to hear was recorded before the Bradley Beal news. So if you hear something about the Miami Heat or about the Phoenix Suns or about the makeup of the Western Conference, and you're like, well, I'm on the run, it was because we did not record that uh, before the Bradley Beal episode was recorded last week. And so we are putting this new thing on top. We'll get you the Bradley Beal analysis here. But everything that we listen that you hear in the next part of the episode, bear in mind that that is entirely uh, recorded before the Beal trade. Brandon, um, I wrote up the quick newser for Action Network on this. The odds moved where the Suns were 10 to 1 prior to the deal, and they moved all the way to 6 to 1. The consensus in the market is 6 to 1. 
on the Suns after this deal, six and a half in some places. Um, we'll wait to see where the market kind of tops out at. There was already a move to six and then back to six and a half at FanDuel. I, I will just say that this is not the time to bet the Suns. You need to see what the rest of the roster looks like, what the depth looks like. You're going to hear this a lot from us. If you can listen to the podcast, especially when we react to things, don't that that initial move, in my opinion, is almost always wrong because they're guarding against a flood of money. So there might be times when you want to get in on a super move. You'll hear some of that prior, like when the Suns were mentioned as a Beal location. If you like the Suns with Beal, you should have bet them last week. And we'll we'll talk more about that as the free agency rumors go. But for me, right now, the Suns are definitely a no bet. Let's see what the rest of the offseason looks like for them. And then we can evaluate going into the season. Yeah, in fact, as you listen to this, in about 30 or 40 minutes, I'm going to, from the past, tell you to bet on the Suns at the price before the trade that just happens happens. That's great. That is not me taking credit for this. Just this stuff is going to move around. That's all. It's going to keep on moving. The way that you know that the that the price didn't move fairly is no other price has changed, right? It's not like the Suns got shorter and they're like, all right, so let's, let's make the Bucks a little longer and the Warriors, like, Nothing else changed. They just were like, oh, let's quick put a number up for people that want to get their bets in, but not really adjust everything else just yet. It, it, we're going to have some time here. This is, to me, this is the mid three. I think that's uh, no, no big three here. It's the mid three. And you can take that mid to mean how you like. I mean it at least one way. At all the mid-range jumpers they're going to be taking after shot, after shot, after shot. Holy cow. Bradley Beal takes even less threes, I feel like, than Kevin Durant. He does. And Devin Booker. He actually statistically does. I checked this out. Amongst players with a to average at least 23 per game last season, Beal had a lower free uh, three point rate than Kevin Durant. So so can we can we stop talking about adding an elite sharpshooter? Like his three point attempts have gone down four consecutive seasons right now, from like eight something to four something. I know the stats are all kind of whatever with Washington the last few years, but so my pushback on that is is pretty specifically this, which is like Beal is going to have fewer three-point attempts as the lead ball handler because he's not a guy that's going to come off of a high pick and rise from 30. Like he's not Steph in terms of demanding that space or feeling comfortable. Like you're, the Wizards are not setting Porzingis screens at half court for Bradley Beal. If Beal's mechanism is entirely spot up, which he is a pretty good spot up shooter not elite but good then the, it basically just turns into like look take that third guy in the kevin durant chris paul or kevin durant devin booker with deandre aiden or whoever is screening now that's another question for for us to get to but like <laughs> in that pick and roll situation who's the corner guy when it was josh akogi and landry shamit and damian lee and all of these other guys it, tory craig in the corner you replace that guy specifically with Bradley Beal and you're generating efficient looks from a good spot up shooter. But I will agree with you that overall, like that still requires Beal to take an extremely off ball role. And we just don't know yet whether he's, that's what he's going to be looking to do or not. Yeah. And I think we're going to get a lot of comparison to like, well, this is this really similar to the Nets big three. We just saw it with Durant and with Harden and Kyrie and look how good they were. They were the title favorite. They were the contenders we saw it happen for those, whatever, 20, 30 games we got this year. Well, we saw it happen with a bunch of good defenders around those guys. This was not a three man only team. We saw it happen not for very long. 
We didn't see whether they'd stay healthy or stay happy with the roles they're having. We saw Nick Claxton, a possible defensive player of the year on that team. Like there, there ain't one of those guys in Phoenix. I hate to tell you there was, they traded him away. He's not there anymore. He's in Brooklyn now. So the roster around this, like the, the it's going to be so expensive for Phoenix. And yes, they probably will trade Aiden for other pieces to try to fill the roster out a little bit more. And yes, they'll probably get a few veteran ring chasers, not Chris Paul. He's not by the CBA allowed to be the guy coming back. I'll be honest. Like, uh, so my, here are my overall two takes from this. Number one, I literally tweeted yesterday, Saturday, when these rumors are coming out, please let me bet against the Beal Durant Booker sons. I don't ask for much. My, uh, my request has been granted. I'm out. I am out. I'm out. I'm staying out. Make me stay out. I don't like this team. I don't like three injury prone guys. I don't like a mid-range team that is not going to get to the basket a lot and not going to shoot threes a lot. I don't like what the defense is going to be from this team. I'm out. I don't like it. I actually care the most about where Chris Paul is going to end up in this trade because I think where Chris Paul goes, and according to Chris Haynes, reporters of Sunday afternoon, possibly rerouting a trade, possibly back to the Clippers, a reunion time. If Chris Paul goes to the right team, I actually think that moves a championship needle for me more than this move. If that tells you anything as to how little I think of what the Suns team looks like right now. Yeah. So I would tell you that based off of what I've heard, the list of, of CP3 candidates, which is long, um, Houston, the Clippers, the Lakers, yep. Miami, yep. New York. Those are the, th- the the five teams that I would look at. And you go like, well, they have Jalen Brunson. Well, you, you add Chris Paul and you play Chris Paul and Dale and Jalen Brunson and you kind of figure it out. Maybe Chris comes off the bench. I'm just telling you what I've heard. Um, so we'll see where he kind of ends up. It, it makes sense for, for Paul to go to the Clippers from the perspective of one, his family's there, wants to be there. He's liked living in LA. Two, he has a lot of business interest there. Three, Kawhi, I've reported this over and over again. Kawhi has wanted a point guard upgrade. He wanted Fred Van Vliet. Yep. They did not get him. They got Eric Gordon is like the the B prize and he was not satisfied with that. Like Kawhi has wanted a point guard upgrade. Now, I don't know what this means for Russ. I don't know if, if Chris is like the replacement that Kawhi wants. Um, All of these things are complicated, but I will just say that like, again, by the time you hear this, this could be done. Like we're, mm-hmm. I'm recording this on Sunday. Cause like, I need to go enjoy a little bit of my father's day, but depending on where Chris Paul ends up, I do think that, that winds up impacting these things. Would you agree with me just from a betting perspective? Our probably our best look here is the when Pacific title odds come out. That's where we try and find value, whether it's on the Kings, the Clippers. Yeah, I, I was gonna say I'm waiting for you to finish the sentence. Not on Phoenix. No, thank you. It, certainly not Phoenix in a regular season. Maybe there is a playoff mode here, maybe by the time we get there, but certainly I'm not betting on the regular season health of Beale, Durant, Booker. Like they are not going to be pushing for a one seed or a division title or anything like that. So yeah, possibly Kings again, especially we had the Lakers make the Western conference finals. We have the Warriors. We have the, the Beal Durant sons. So, and the Kings just won the division, right? Is that all, is that all the same division? Am I getting the teams right? No, you got, you're you're on, you're on. Okay. Okay. Who knows who's in which division? I don't know. I do. I I know. I I, I usually know, but it's a June Sunday. By the way, happy Father's Day to you, Matt. Happy Father's Day to our listeners. Happy Father's Day yesterday, I guess, as you listen to this. But I, I, it's a fun trade because it's Bradley Beal and like 
I'll be honest. I, I just am excited, I guess, to watch Bradley Beal like play a meaningful basketball play again for the first time in what half a decade. Like I, I haven't seen a lot of Bradley Beal play. I think if a lot of analysts are being being fair and serious, I think that that would be a fair admission. I haven't seen him play for a while that because he hasn't been irrelevant and he hasn't been playing a lot. He's averaging 52 games per season for the last four years. And I know we had shortened seasons and all of that. I understand, but you still played only 52 games. That still doesn't tell me you can play a hundred games now, which is how long it takes to get to the finals and win. We get a wrap, but I do want to make, make a note of this. Um, currently on roster for the Phoenix Suns. Currently on roster. <laughs> Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, Cameron Payne, Ish Wainwright's on a club option off a of two-way. That's it. That's the Aiden, that's all DeAndre Aiden. DeAndre Aiden. DeAndre Aiden. DeAndre Aiden. So there is an expectation that they're going to trade Aiden for depth. Yeah. I don't know what that looks like. I will tell you that Boston Celtics are a team that I would I think are probably interested in having that conversation. The Toronto Raptors, I think, are probably a team that's interested in having that conversation despite having traded for Jakob Pertle. Um, I think there are and the Dallas Mavericks are another team I think that's probably interested in DeAndre Aiden. Those are the teams that I would look at. I don't know if those teams have the depth that they're looking for. Um, but they are options. Oh, and the Brooklyn Nets are another one. That's another another team that I would probably look at as far as like having the option. <laughs> for what they're looking at. They need at. a few I've, more sons. Yeah, I've got an Intel uh, column up that talks about the latest that I've heard around the league. Make sure to check that out. Meanwhile, enjoy the rest of this episode. Still lots of stuff in here that's meaningful and pertinent, uh, except for Brandon telling you to bet a number that's no, that's now dead and no, and he now <laughs> now thinks that you should not bet it. Uh, make sure to hit, hit us up on Twitter and let you enjoy the show. And we'll talk to you again next time. Enjoy the rest of part two of our NBA season wrap up here on Buckets. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great, too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Let's have the rhythm of the season. Uh, because I have said for years that March basketball is a slog and is the most meaningless part of the season. 30% of the league is resting because they've already established playoff positioning and they need to get their guys healthy for the playoff run. 30% injured. Their season's effectively over because they've lost key rotation players to injury or they are so banged up, they're just trying to get to the end. And then 30% of the league is actively tanking because their season is over and they are trying to get to the end. That's the entirety of the league. Like maybe there's like one or 2% of the league that is like, trying to gear maybe five percent of the league is like we got to really especially with the play in right like we got to make it up the ladder got to try and make a run it's not real it's not real and people are going to say like what about the lakers matt they made the western conference finals they made the western conference finals because much like the heat 
they ran into the perfect path of opponents after the all-star break. And then they ran into a Memphis team missing Steven Adams and Brandon Clark versus a big team who they needed front court guys without them were a terrible half court offense that we have consistently said over the last two years, I'm going to fade Memphis. <laughs> and John Morant got hurt and missed and a game John and Morant was playing injured hurt. after that. And John Morant got hurt. And John Morant was, head wasn't in the right place because of all the nonsense going on with him. Like, the whole team was spiraling off, okay? Then they faced the Warriors, and that was one that I was wrong about. But here's where I was – and I'm sorry. Like, I, I, I'm I, always one of the men on this podcast when I'm wrong. Like, lots of stuff I was wrong about, okay? The one I will not say that I was wrong about was – the thing I was wrong about with that Lakers-Warriors series was not that the Lakers were better than I expected. Is that the Warriors were way worse. I gave them continual credit of being like, look, they still got the best net rating when their starters on the floor. Look, they still got X, Y, and Z. Look, Steph, Cur- Steph, Clay, and Draymond have still not lost a series when all those guys have played together. They told us all year who they were, and I didn't believe them. They told us all year who they were, and I did not believe them. And that was my and I, I talked about the dichotomy and how there were reasons to fade them and believe in them. And I didn't think the, the Lakers could be the team to expose them, and they did. So like that was the mistake there. If we go back and we look at March. Okay, if we look at March in the NBA, here are the best teams from March 7th on. The Memphis Grizzlies were 13 and 6. The Boston Celtics were 12 and 4. The Los Angeles Lakers were 12 and 5. The Milwaukee Bucks were 12 and 6. The Philadelphia 76ers were 12 and 6. The Chicago Bulls were 11 and 6. How about that defense? The New Orleans Pelicans were 11 and 6. The Cleveland Cavaliers were 10 and 5. And you can look at this and say, look, the Lakers made the Western Conference Finals. The Celtics made the Eastern Conference Finals. It's true. It's absolutely true. Those teams, like the Celtics in particular, were good all year. So we can kind of like remove them into their own area. But my point here is if we go look back and we look at December through February, which I think is like the key part of the season. I looked at December 1st through uh, March 7th, the first week of March. Here were the, the best records. Denver, Milwaukee, Philly, the Knicks, who outperformed my expectations, the Celtics, the Cavaliers, the Kings, who I think outperformed most people's expectations, the Grizzlies, the Nets, wah, wah. Uh, and guess who was 10th? The Miami Heat at 25 and 19. Hmm. Like, there is, this isn't going to be perfect. It's not going to be like perfectly line up. But when you're analyzing stuff, I will say that my key time to be betting NBA futures is going to start in mid-December, and it's going to end around All-Star and will peter out by the time that we get to March in the first week. After that, I'm ignoring everything else that happens, man, if it's not injury. Everything else I'm throwing out that time of year is nonsense. I'm not getting fooled again because I should have been betting the Denver Nuggets hard, hard. I bet them a lot in December and January, wrote about it, did all these things, made all these bets, and that's the only reason I didn't lose my shirt. But I should have bet them a lot more based off of their performance in December through March and from now on, and I'm not going to let a team underperforming in March ever fool me again. I think I want to clarify. I think that you are are making nearly the right conclusion, but also very the wrong conclusion. Okay. December, January, February, absolutely is when you should be making your judgments about teams. If March and April are bad, if teams are going to take their foot off the gas, if the nuggets are going to look like crap in those months, that's when you should be betting Denver because yep. you've already decided in January, February that they're really good. January, February, when they're killing everyone is not necessarily when you should be betting them. Yeah, you're right. We're you're still right. four months away. You're right. So 
I, I think that's really is what you're saying anyways, but I think deciding what you decide in those months absolutely is a takeaway. Uh, I realized I, I added on our Google doc, what are some of my takeaways? This is basically mine is the same for me. January, February is, is the indicative time that I really want to hone in on. Last year at that time is when we identified Boston. We did that January 29th and forward. Like how many times did I say that same stupid date about the Celtics over and over that from that day forward, and that was the pivot point for them. When I did my, like, I'm back from the NFL deep dive into all these teams, my biggest takeaway of anything in February was that the Nuggets were number one with a bullet in the West and Jamal Murray was the breakout. And that was the reason they were really that good. And then I kind of went away from it like you did, like a lot of us did, because it, we didn't see it again after that. That was the big takeaway. Here are other takeaways I had from January, February. The Kings look pretty good. They might win the division. Plus 800 for the three seed. Guess what? All that stuff happened. We decided no, 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 it's fine. The Suns will get better and the Warriors will get better and the Lakers and all the other teams will get better. But the Kings, none of that data matters at all. We're just going to throw it all out and play pretend. And we shouldn't have. The data that was already looking correct was correct. The Knicks, we had the Knicks over. That was a big bet. Raybon was on that. You and I both were on that. The Knicks were the right over. The data was saying they were good. That held up. You listed them among the teams that closed the season well. The, the Oklahoma City was a team that was starting to kind of pull things together then that, that the data said could make a run at the play-in, but the human side said, nah, they're young. This is just a fluke thing. They'll probably fall apart. But that's actually what happened. The January, February data said, these are the teams that steered away from the Mavericks that said the Mavericks are not a good team. And yet all the betting, all the markets said, nah, it's fine. The Mavs, they, they'll figure it out. They're the five or the six seed. They'll be right there. And the stuff we saw in January, February was telling us truths about these teams that held up through the March and April storms and held up into the playoffs. So I agree. We've got to hone in on what we think, like almost like the season ends at the all-star break and that's what teams are playing toward and peaking toward. And then they're like, all right, well, we got that figured out now. Now, some of the teams are, are, not that at all because they've traded everyone and now they have an entirely new team after the break. To me, that's where it gets really troublesome because I don't know what we, what we make of the Lakers because the numbers were really, really good after the break. They had an entirely new roster. The stuff from before the break, before the trade deadline told us nothing because who cares about Russell Westbrook and I don't even remember who was on the Lakers anymore. That's like seven years ago in my head, but like none of that mattered but also not too much of it mattered after the break because they were beating up on nobody. So nothing mattered. <laughs> so then what do we do? Or the Suns, we got eight games of Kevin Durant and they were undefeated. Yay, zero on a stat. So it must be a useful trend. We didn't know anything about the Suns. We knew nothing. We learned nothing. We got eight games of nothing against nothing teams during a nothing part of the season. I, 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 a takeaway for me also has to be no more buying microwave teams. Uh, that's not new to me. That was a thing that I was, we all were against the Suns roster and that coming into the season. Teams win championships, not microwave stars you throw together. This is not a pickup game at the Y. Yeah. Watch the title run we just saw. Jokic, Murray, watch the moments for MPJ, not the finals. Go ahead and skip the finals for him. Watch Aaron Gordon in the finals. Watch the Bruce Brown plays. KCP, Christian Brown, like 
teams win titles, not two dudes you threw together. And we're like, ah, it's fine. We'll, we'll find Tory Craig to do the rest of the I, stuff. I bought this and I was so dumb of me. Like I was betting Celtics Suns finals matchups. And like, it's, I, I got killed on that. I'll admit that I got killed on that bet. Um, like my margins were okay, but were not what I wanted this year. And it's almost entirely because of Celtics Suns. And I just bought into like, well, they're eight and one. And like, they look so good. And like, what are you going to do with KD? And like, this team made the finals two years ago and blah, 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 blah. And like the team wasn't good enough. The team wasn't good enough. Um, I didn't realize the, the drop off of Chris Paul. I didn't, I didn't trust enough of how badly Monty Williams, I think mangled the Aiden situation. Like there's all these reasons I'm going to like the Suns next year, but it was absolutely the wrong bet of me to be giving out Celtics Suns or betting Suns to win the Western conference. It was such a mistake based off of what you just mentioned. Um, you kind of mentioned the Lakers there. So let's go to that. What to make of the Lakers. Um, that's my, my, my sixth question for you. So one thing I love to, to remind people of is everyone's like, well, after the trade, after the trade, after the trade, after the trade, here is what that trade got them. Russell Westbrook didn't play. Sure. All right, fine. That was a plus. He was good for the Clippers, but whatever. It's a plus to get Russ off the floor. Okay. They got D'Angelo Russell, who had the worst net rating of any player in the Western Conference Finals, was unplayable, and yet they had to play him because of their contract situation with him. So he was a net negative. Malik Beasley did not play in the Conference Finals or in the playoffs hardly at all. Jared Vanderbilt was great in the first round and then was never heard from again. Jared Vanderbilt was played entirely off of the playoff floor. When they tried to play him versus the Nuggets, it was a disaster. So the three guys they acquired, the Rui trade was great. That was a major one for them. He's good. He was great for them. Probably not going to shoot 60% for the rest of his career, but he was really good for them. I am not looking to buy Lakers now. When those win totals drop, I am not like, un there's no way that the Lakers make substantial upgrades that they con some team into taking D'Angelo Russell on a sign-in trade. And there's two teams I've heard that are interested in, in such a deal. If they're dumb enough to take those, those, those deals... There's no way that that happens and the market doesn't overreact to that. And they're like, oh, they made the conference finals and look at their record. And Austin Reeves is really good. And AD and LeBron, blah, 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 blah. There's no, I am not betting the Lakers unless we get to a point next year where I'm just like, I have no choice. They better be so dominant from game one. And even then I'm always going to have injury concerns on them. Um, there is just a very, to me, there is very little chance that the market is going to react responsibly when our full market comes out after free agency. I think there is a very small chance that the Lakers are appropriately priced in the market based off of this run. I mean, look, there's a very small chance the Lakers are ever appropriately, appropriately priced, priced, right? Like yeah. that's, that's just the Lakers tax on top of everything else. We talked, you and me and you and like every other person on buckets, we ran into the ground the question of, who can we bet in the West? There's only one good team. The Suns might end up on the Nuggets side of the bracket. Who could be the team that comes out of the other side of the bracket? This is the thing we knew the entire year. There's a bunch of good teams. They're all in three quadrants of the bracket. There's one quad quadrant that has Kings and Grizzlies. Who can we sneak into that bracket? They might get out and have a chance to make a run. They'll probably lose in the Western Conference Finals, but they might get there. What happened? The Lakers made the Conference Finals and got demolished. They won zero games. They beat the Grizzlies. They beat the Warriors. You explain how all that stuff happened. They're fine. They're a good team, good enough to take advantage of what was in front of them. They are the West version of the Miami Heat. That's what happened. Yep. I'm sorry. I don't know who's more offended by that, but I hope everyone equally is offended by that <laughs> comparison. In the West, going into the playoffs, we knew the Nuggets were the best team and that the Suns were probably the second best team. And after that, I don't know. Clippers, maybe we thought were the third best team. If they're healthy, that changed quickly. Or the Warriors or the Lakers. That was the mix. That's what we saw. 
the the Nuggets won the West. The Suns are the only team that pushed them to more than five games in the entire postseason. They were second in the West. And then there was nobody else that was good. It turns out the Lakers ended up being the team that got to that and didn't win any games. That's it. They're fine. I I will cautiously watch LeBron James to see what we're like. To me, the question of are the Lakers overrated has to be LeBron James. And is look, LeBron was not playoff LeBron this year. He was not. He was not the world beater You're so number one. Good. You're so, you got, I don't believe how you stats guy. Like, have you looked at the numbers? He was not he was not playoff god LeBron. He wasn't even close to it. The numbers, especially a lot of the advanced numbers, are juiced positively in a good way because the defense was really good. The offense, the stuff that LeBron does controlling everything offensively was not there. There were stretches of games where he watched on the side while Austin Reeves and and Anthony Davis ran pick and rolls. That is not LeBron James' playoff basketball. It's not a slander. He's 38, and the most important thing to me is was that because he's 38 and this is just what he is now, he can have superstar moments but not stretches or full games or weeks anymore, or was that the foot? I don't know. I think it's both, but to me, I bought into the Lakers to get to the Western Conference Finals. I had that bet. I had a LeBron to win Western MVP because I thought that would have to be the reason. I don't think that that's in there anymore. If the version we saw this year is what he is, but I need to find out, was that because he's 38 and all the mileage, or is it because of the foot? I'm going to give LeBron the benefit of the doubt and put more of that on the foot injury. But to me, that's the story. I think you're underrating the trade stuff a little bit just because it's not necessarily that they got the right star, but it's that they got the right rotation around their two stars. And it elevated Austin Reeves. And Austin Reeves is legitimately the third best player and a good player and on Team USA for a reason and not the worst player on that team by a mile. He's good. There's three good players on the Lakers. They're going to be in the mix of things if they stay healthy. They're probably not going to stay healthy because it's LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But we should not think of them as the Western Conference Finals teams in the same way that we should not think of the Atlanta Hawks from a couple years ago as a Conference Finals team or the Blazers a couple years ago as a Conference Finals team. Remember those teams? And they're like, we made the Conference Finals. Pay everybody. We're amazing. They're not amazing. Neither of those teams even made the playoffs this year. That's what the Lakers just did. They're the team that were amazing and had the right path. And yay for them. That's what we saw. The the LeBron hate is just incredible for me. Just just incredible. He had he averaged 25, 10, and 6.5 assists. I just looked at the guys in the playoffs to do that. Here's a list. Russell Westbrook, Jeff Rulin, by the way, Oscar Robertson twice, Paul Pierce, Jokic twice, LeBron one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times, Blake Griffin once, Kevin Durant, Luca twice, Larry Bird three times, Charles Barkley, and Giannis. That's okay. it. Okay. Okay. 63% so, from two. So LeBron James was as good as Paul Pierce and Blake Griffin in the playoffs. Congratulations, LeBron James. But, but he, hey, he uh, was not uh, like. You named at the beginning of the podcast, we talked about Jokic. You said Jokic, Giannis, Steph. Those are the guys that can be the best, best, best championship winner on a court. LeBron has never played in the playoffs ever and not been on that list. He's not on the list anymore. That's it. That's the only point I'm making. He's off the top three list. That's fair. Next question. Does coaching matter more in an NBA with parity the way that we're seeing it now? Because we kind of admit that like the Nuggets were a great team, but they're not this all-time Warriors level team, Right. However, I'll say this, Michael Malone was a better coach than, let's go down the list, Taylor Jenkins, 
Mike Brown. Um, Steve Kerr's a better coach. I'll give him that one. I think he's a better coach than Ty Lue. I'll say that right now. I think Michael Malone is a better coach than Ty Lue. Um, let's see. Seven was uh, Darvin Ham. And eight is Chris Finch. He's a better coach than those guys. On the Eastern Conference side, Michael Malone is a better coach than Joe Mazzula, Doc Rivers, Mike Budenholzer. Oof, boy, Bud's that's really tough on Bud. They both have one championship. I will give Malone the credit because he's more flexible, but like Bud's pretty close. Um, let's see. Uh, JB Bickerstaff. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for that one. Tibbs. Uh, and then seven was uh, he's a better coach than Quinn Snyder and uh, Nats, you missed Nats also. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a better coach than than um, why am I blanking? Jacques Vaughn, Jacques Vaughn, thank you. Um, and obviously, Spo's a better coach. So, there were two coaches better than Malone in the playoffs. Um, Spo was obviously a better coach than all of those guys in front of him in the east. So, in my opinion, two of the top three coaches wound up in the finals. If we're going to talk about team and the value of team, your coach has to be able to both bring those teams together and they have to be able to use what's available to them to maximize the run and be flexible with approach. When Spo needed to go offense, he went offense. He played all shooters. When Spo needed to go defense and try and slog games down, he went defense. When Malone needed to play big to take advantage of their of, of their size, he did so. When they needed to ramp up their offensive shooting and put more, more guards on the floor, he did that. Like those guys' ability to be flexible made all those right moves. Is coaching, which typically doesn't matter much in the NBA, according to most of the analytics guys, does it matter more in an NBA where the parity is a little bit stronger? It matters more for this reason. Here's my line Good coaching raises your floor, bad coaching caps your ceiling. So back to the Spurs, the, the, the two decades of Spurs. Pop is awesome. Pop is the all-time great coach. Don't need to argue about that. He raised that team's floor by having building a great defense. Usually that is tied to great coaching. Michael Malone is a little different because of the great offense. Most times, teams that have great coaches like Spolstra, year after year after year, have awesome defenses because of what they install on the team and then what they the players they get and what they get the role players and everyone, night after night after night. Good coaching raises your floor so that you can win games your team should be losing that other teams would be losing because your defense kept you in it enough to give you a shot, even on the bad shot variance nights and all the other things. Miami won oodles and oodles of clutch games this year. Many teams aren't even in the situation to win that clutch game. They just lose. Spose coaching raises the floor to keep them in that game. It raises the floor on a team that should have lost in the play-in tournament, it kept them just close enough for Max Struess to hit a bunch of threes and make the tournament, and then, hooray, they're in the finals. Like, it kept that in play. That's what good coaching does. It raises the floor of the team. Bad coaching caps your ceiling. I'm looking at you, Joe Mazzula. Whatever Boston could be, and I'm sorry, whatever Philadelphia could be, if you don't have the right coach to make the adjustment and they put your guys in the best position and look, we did this with, with Bud, like Bud won a championship, but we've done this with Bud over the years. Bud is the good coaching raises your floor year after year after year, great defense, lots of regular season wins. Bud also has been at times, at least the bad coaching caps your ceiling and yeah. he's grown over time. And I'm not sure he is that anymore, 
But for a while, that's why we had to stay away from Milwaukee and why we were not really in on that when that run happened and why it almost didn't happen. They struggled against Atlanta a little bit. They were down 0-2 in the finals to Phoenix. That was maybe maybe bad coaching isn't fair, but non-great coaching. Yeah. Uh, so good coaching raises your floor. Bad coaching caps your ceiling. To me, that's the takeaway. And that coaching is a great inequality. There's no salary cap on coaches. You can go pay whatever you want. What did the Detroit Pistons just pay Monty Williams? Like the sun, the moon, and the stars to come and coach our team because who cares? Doesn't count against our cap. They paid him like he is a third starter on an NBA team because they can. So ownership and coaching is an advantage that some teams just can have that others won't have. The Cavs are, in my opinion, a team that I want to include in my, I want, like, I want to bet the Cavs as a long shot. And I can't do it because of what JB Bakerstaff showed this year. Because bad coaching caps your ceiling. And we saw that immediately in that first round. Yeah. Um, we got three more and we'll get out of here. Does offense win championships? So I read about this on Action Network and I phrase it a very specific way. Okay. Um, which is, a, it's a very nuanced point. The point here is not the defense is irrelevant. Okay, defense still travels. Defense is still important. You can't be a bottom 10 defense and contend. I still don't believe that. I don't think you can be a bottom 10 defense and contend. The Nuggets topped out at 15th during that run, by the way, where we I, I talked about like how good they were between December and March 7th. Uh, the Denver Nuggets were seventh in defensive rating at that during that stretch. So like I had seen that they're capable of it, right? Yeah. We You can't take the full season number. We need to look at those moments where you're trying to prioritize what is real and look at who are you then, okay? So defense matters. But one of the reasons, people will look at the end of the Heat series and go, the Nuggets won with defense. And I don't think that that's accurate, even though those games were ugly and a slog. The Nuggets won because their offensive floor, even on their worst day, on the worst possible night, was still better than the Heat's, and because the Heat had to spend so much time, effort, resources, and rotation minutes just trying to slow down Denver to put them within a scenario that they could be in a three-point game with two minutes left. They exhausted them and left them nothing on the offensive end. So for me, I am going forward in this in these in title betting, and I am starting with the teams that are elite defenses with mediocre offenses are going to be no's for me. You're going to have to have a high offensive floor. And I'm honestly going to say that your offensive floor needs to be higher than your defensive floor for me to be able to trust you to win the title. I would rather have a low offensive floor, high defensive ceiling than a high defensive floor, low offensive ceiling. That's where I want to be at, be at for the, for these teams going forward that's how I kind of view where we're at with offense defense in the modern age. So I'll respond to a couple of points there, but I want to, I, I, I'm going to ask myself this question also, to be fair, what do you do with the Miami heat then? Because the Miami heat just made the NBA finals and are the bad version of the thing that you just said. Mm -hmm. For they made it for the third time in four years. My response would be the only like, they made the finals in 2020 behind defense. They made the finals and the conference finals in 2022 behind defense. They made the finals in 2023 behind offense. And yeah. the question you have to ask is, are the Heat an elite offensive team? If you watch the entire playoffs, including the finals, and think that the Miami Heat are an elite offensive team, you should run and bet the Miami Heat now. <laughs> I'm good, thanks.
They had a nice hot shooting moment versus the Bucks and a nice hot shooting moment versus the Celtics. Not just nice blistering. And other than that, they're a bad offensive team. They have consistently been a bad offensive team. It's why we did not like them in that series versus the Celtics a year ago, even though I bet them plus two and a half because I knew the Celtics would screw around. Guess what they did again? All these types of things, right? Like the Celtic, the Heat, I'm just sorry. I don't think the Heat are going to win a championship with Jimmy Butler and this core unless they get unless they work in the offseason to make themselves into an elite offensive team. I am not buying them. If they show me through the first five months of the season next year that they're an elite offensive team, I'll reconsider my position because I know what they can do defensively. But right now, no way. Yeah, I, I largely agree with that heat analysis. Not necessarily, we'll, we'll do the Jimmy Butler thing again offline another time, but the analysis that the heat got to where they were because of offense, this particular run, I totally agree with. I agree, high floor defense and teams that don't have enough offense, you and I both have been fading those teams for years. That's the Tibbs rule to me. You have the Tibbs rule to, that you didn't want to believe in the Knicks. This year's Knicks look different. They look like not great defense, high floor offense. The offense ended up being exposed as well in the playoffs. But to me, the Cavs were a team that a lot of the numbers, the the Cavs would have been my Utah Jazz. Let's bring that up for me. My Jazz in past years, I'm still only how many, 10 wins away from cashing my Utah Jazz bet. That to me is what the Cavs would have done had I not grown as a better analyst to say, okay, the Cavs, advanced metrics and all the Vorps and Schwarps, they all looked really good. They all said the Cavs should be the fifth contender on my list of teams. I never bought it because of the thing you're saying. The defense was there. I did not think the offense was going to be good enough when it got to the playoffs. And that's, they were a Tibbs team to me. We've seen a lot of Tibbs teams in the past like that. I've seen them up close and personal, both of my, my bulls and my wolves in the past. I can claim them as mine in the past. Those teams, and and I think the Heat still belong in that mix of teams, and that's partly as why they were the eight seed as well. I'm not sure I'm ready to do the offense wins championship only because defense also won championship. Like, yes, the Nuggets' offensive floor was there, but they also had to really ramp up their defense to get there. That's part of why I never quite got there as a title team for them before this run because I wasn't sure if they could do that defensively. I'd also had noted it in January, February but I wasn't sure if they get there. Part of a defense being good during that stretch is the offense being so good that you're taking the ball out of your own bucket every time and the defense gets to set up. Like that's all tied together. Here's my take. Offense wins championships. Yes, defense wins championship. Like we we saw that with with the Warriors. All the Warriors teams, great offense won championship, but they were really, really good defensively and sometimes great defensively. I don't think offense wins championships. I don't think defense wins championships. MVPs win championships. I've sent you some of the numbers on this, so I'm just going to give this point here. Since 1960, so once the league got a little bit established, 64 champions, 56 out of 64 champions have had an MVP or former MVP on the team. 56 out of 64, 88% of NBA champions have an MVP on the team. If you count top two MVP finishes, so that leaves eight teams out. Here here are some of the eight, eight teams. 2019 Toronto Raptors. Oh, Kawhi Leonard. Hasn't won an MVP, but only because his knee explodes every time he plays more than three games, or otherwise he clearly would have at this point. He does have a runner-up MVP finish. Before that, 2004 Pistons. So two decades ago, since we've had a team without that superstar player, they are the outlier among outliers. Before that, Pistons again, 90 and 89 without the MVP. Before that, we go back to the 81 Celtics. 
who Larry Bird was the runner-up MVP and obviously won plenty of MVPs after that. And then we have a few teams in the late 70s, which is widely regarded as the worst era of NBA basketball. Eight teams ever, four of the eight, had a guy that had been a runner-up MVP. So if you don't have a top two MVP finish on your team, you are down to a 6% chance historically of winning MVP. Now, you can win MVP next year. Maybe you think Luka Doncic wins MVP next year, and now that would put you onto the list of good teams. But here's who that's bad news for. Most notably, the Boston Celtics. Jason Tatum is not an MVP and is not going to be an MVP or a top two MVP. They are the big team. To me, when we are at the Celtics earlier, I picked them at the start of the playoffs, but my big red flag was, gosh, I just don't know if they look like a champion because they don't have that superstar team. I asked you, I asked a lot of people, ask myself, what's the last champion whose best player would have been the level of Jason Tatum. Whatever the slanderous version of that was, I tried to ask the kind version. He's not LeBron. He's not Steph. He's not Durant, Jokic now, Giannis, et cetera. The answer was the 04 Pistons, really. That's how far we had to go back. Jason Tatum is not that dude. Other teams, this is probably bad news for that are that are highish on the odds. Grizzlies, Kings, they were top three seeds this year. The Miami Heat, because Jimmy Butler is not an MVP or top two MVP. I'm giving that one to you, Matt Moore. The Clippers, uh, maybe. Kawhi Leonard, second place. We don't really know. The Mavericks, unless Luka gets there. Cavs, definitely fall into that list. The Hawks, the Pelicans. If you right now, with title odds, bet only teams that have an MVP on them. So here's the list. Denver, Jokic, Philadelphia, Embiid, I guess. Milwaukee, Giannis, Lakers, LeBron, Warriors, Steph. Phoenix because of Durant and let's throw Houston in there for James Harden because why not? If you bet only those teams and that's not Russell Westbrook, it's not Derrick Rose. I'm not going to count them. If you bet only those teams, all of them to win the title, you get a minus 200, 67% chance. History says 94% chance. MVPs win championships, period. Top three players in the NBA win championships. We have to start there. That's the end of the list. I would agree with you, except for apparently now we just give MVPs if you score the most points per game, Brandon. So I'm not sure that we can use that going <laughs> forward. Um, the final point that I will say about the the offense and, and defensive thing, uh, I've made this point a lot before, but I will say, can you say it? Don't focus on the defensive metrics in the regular season because the Cavs were an elite defensive team. Um, and a lot of these teams, like the Jazz were an elite defensive team, right? When they were, when they were up there. Um, focus on can they solve problems? The Nuggets have a lot of ways that they can solve problems. And nobody really understood that. Like I kept trying to tell people, I was like, they're going to play Jokic at the level and they're going to do pretty well. And they're like, no, they're going to play Jokic and pick a roll and kill him. It, you know, it helps if you don't just play drop. They played drop versus the Suns two years ago because the, Jokic was exhausted. When Jokic isn't exhausted, they don't have to. If your team has multiple options, they can figure stuff out. Uh, the MVP analysis is really interesting. We'll get back to that uh, later in the off season. Let's wrap this up. Lightning round, Brandon. Quick answers here. Okay, you ready? Okay, too long or too short? We're going to do four teams. The Bucks are plus 490. That's implied 17% approximately. Are the Bucks too long or too short at plus 490 to win the NBA title? Too short. Go on it. Uh, yeah, I agree. I have a lot of concerns about what's going to happen with their offseason. I'm already hearing that there's teams lining up to make Brook Lopez offers, and that's going to fundamentally change things if they can't get yep. back. Now, the Bucks have a are going to give him a significant offer, but 
it's going to take some work with him to get him back. Um, that's before we get to the Chris Middleton question. The Suns plus 700. That's 13% chance. Too long or too short? I think too long and too short. <laughs> if you like the Suns, I don't blame you for grabbing this number. Now, I think that number is going to get shorter because I think the Suns are going to make a move in the offseason in the coming weeks that's going to make that number shorter. I don't want it anyways, so that's why I think it's also, I don't even, I, I'm, I don't want to bet it, but I do think that the number is going to shorten. So if you do want to bet it, I think that now rather than later might be your window. Uh, I think it's too short. I'm probably going to bet it. I think they have runway. I think Frank Vogel's an upgraded coach. Warriors plus 1,200, 8% chance. Too long or too short? I think it's close. I think it's a little bit too short. I don't really need it better right now. It's a long season. It's a really old team. And they weren't good enough this year. And they're not getting any younger. I think it's too long. I'm, I don't think that they're done. I think they had a nightmare year. And I'm ready about the Warriors again. Uh, Heat plus 1,800. 5% chance for your Jimmy Buckets. Too long or too short? Just just get it out of here. I just get we, we vanquished the Heat. I don't want the plus eight plus eighteen hundred is a ludicrous number. Get out of here. This this was an eight seed. They, made they the were finals. the seven they made the seed finals all year. twice in four years. They made the conference finals three times in four years. Look, I, I can tell you right now, I'm gonna be fading the heat every way I can in the regular season because Jimmy Butler is the one man team. He's the guy that does everything for them or doesn't do everything, but he's the reason that they are what they are. And he has all the mileage and he has the hundred games he just played or the hundred game heat run. And he has the Tibbs mileage. A couple of years ago, I faded the heck out of the heat coming off of their very, very long run because of mileage on the guys and the way that they play. And I'm going to be right back there again. I'm sure of it. Yeah. I don't think Jimmy Butler is the reason that they are. I think it's Spolstra. You want to know who the MVP of the, of the heat is it's Eric Spolstra. Not once every three games, Jimmy B uh, favorite title long shots. You got two of them. You already put this out in an article, but I'm interested to hear your takes on them. Uh, give me your two favorite long shots. Another last question before we get out of here. Yeah, this is out actually. This was in our roundtable piece, so it's up. So just really quickly, I'm trying to look for who's next year's Nuggets, who's next year's Heat. This is just gold mining. This panning for some gold, these are not going to hit. But hopefully, give me a chance to get one of them into a conference finals and then hedge out. So who's next year's Nuggets? How about the Portland Trailblazers? 130 to 1 at our sponsor, FanDuel. Here's the case. Damian Lillard is as good as ever. The numbers say Damian Lillard might have had his best season this year. I know he missed a lot of games, but per game, per minute, Dame is awesome. Dame is a guy who could be near that list, not top three. He's not going to be top three as a small guard, but he can be in the next tier of guys, and I think was for much of this season. He's the Jokic here, not the level, but he's the homegrown star. The roster around Dame is why that team was really bad. There's a lot of rumors of what they're going to do to remake the roster, whether they use the number three pick toward hopefully in this scenario, a trade to bring in somebody, somebody, maybe they, they re-sign Jeremy Grant, et cetera. Maybe they trade Dame and this ticket goes up in flames instantly. That is in play. It's why it's 130 to one before these last two years, when Dame was hurt and only played, I think 83 games, the Blazers had a top three offense three years in a row. That's how good Damian Lillard is. That's the Nuggets comparison. Good enough. Great, great offense. Can they get good enough defense and help around him? Probably not, because I think Chauncey Billups is also on the bad coaches list. Who could be next year's Heat? Oklahoma City Thunder, 130 to 1. Again, long shot here. Shea Gilgis Alexander as the Jimmy Butler role, the two-way star, really good defensive player, elite offensive player. 
guy who can take over games. We saw that this year. He's going to be a guy you and I are both talking about as an MVP long shot, I'm sure. He is a bona fide star. Mark Dagnalt is a really good coach. We have loved him his whole time there. They finished, the Thunder did, they finished in the top half of the league in offense and defense. This year, with that young team, everybody on the team is young and getting better. They get Chet Holmgren back. You know I love my guy Chet Holmgren. Basically adding American Victor Wembanyama onto your team. That's right. He's going to help the defense. They could have a great defense if they can get enough offense. And they are better positioned to trade for a star than any other team in the league right now with all the war chest of stuff they have. And they get Jalen Williams to make another jump, the one without the Y, the one that plays offense, and Shea another jump. If they can get enough offense, they can make a run. Two teams, Blazers, Thunder, 130 to 1. Neither one's going to win the title. But if I can get one of them to the conference finals, I can pivot out and hedge and make some money. Mine? The Atlanta Hawks, a hundred to one plus ten thousand. Uh, so here's here's like the long and short of this. Okay, um, the MVP thing obviously goes against me here with Trey Young, right? I, I want runway and coaching. That's the combinations that I want here. Can you get better? And do you have good coaching? I believe in Quinn Snyder. Yep. I legitimately think that Quinn Snyder's limitations in the playoffs were more in the, with Utah were because of roster and personality dynamics and not because of scheme he has built consistently great offenses you saw how much better atlanta was like they beat the eastern conference champion by the way in a playoff in a play-in game um you saw the impact that he had okay now i've already w- welcome to the offseason john collins is back on the table once again <laughs> i'm hearing john collins rumors for the 1100th time i'm not going to believe it until he's dealt like i'm going to write that in the article that you're going to read on action network is like until John Collins is physically in another uniform, I will not believe it. They have a lot of room here, though. They have Clint Capella, who they can trade and then start Onyeka Okongwu and then add another center behind him. They have DeAndre Hunter, who's a big wing that can shoot that other teams will probably have value on. John Collins continues to get interest from around the league. Uh, Dallas is another team that continues to like, they're ba- they've are they been banding back offers for, forever about him. Um, they've got Bogdanovich. They can be able to, to make, make an offer on him uh, based, depending on what happens in free agency. They've, and ultimately, ultimately, if they want to move on from Trey Young, they can. If you want to move on from Trey Young, you will still probably get pretty strong offers. And you say, like, who's going to trade for Trey Young? People that want to sell tickets. That's who. Because Trey Young is still a very strong offensive engine. He had a terrible season, and the Hawks still made the playoffs. Like, that's what I would say is like, Trey Young was not good at all of the things that he's been good at for his career this season, and they still made the playoffs. I'm not saying that Trey Young can be the best player on a championship team. He can't be. I am saying that there is upside here to at least for this, like Brandon's thing of, will this number be shorter later? I believe that it will be. I think there's some value. And I'm not, this is a long shot, small bet, but I do like uh, betting Atlanta a little bit at 10,000 plus 10,000. That's going to do it. That's your season wrap up from now on out. We're only looking forward to next season. We will talk draft next week. We will break down NBA free agency as it goes along. You'll have WNBA episodes. Thanks for joining us. My thanks to David Payne, our producer. For Brandon Anderson, NBA futures analyst, he's going to take after the draft. It takes some time to to recuperate before (laughs) football starts. I'm Matt Moore. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you guys again next time. And until then, let's get buckets. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. 
If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.